0: I'm Chris Reback. This is Investigating Breast Cancer, the podcast of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation and conversations with the world's leading scientists studying breast cancer prevention, diagnosis, treatment, survivorship, and metastasis. Did you ever think you'd end up working in Africa? Neither did Dr. Lawrence Shulman. But then we never had Paul Farmer as our intern. Dr. Shulman, an oncologist who specializes in breast cancer, did. Farmer, if you don't know, is the American anthropologist and doctor who in 1987 co-founded Partners in Health, an international nonprofit that, in its own words, brings healthcare to the world's poorest families. That means in places like Haiti and Rwanda. Which is why some eight years ago, Schulman found himself in Rwanda, as he wrote, walking through hospital wards filled with patients with advanced cancers who had never had a biopsy or diagnosis and had no options for treatment. He continued, quote, I knew that many of these patients would survive if they had access to the types of treatments available in the United States, and I was determined to help bring these treatment options to patients in Rwanda. And that's what Schulman has done. He's helped establish cancer programs there and in Haiti, and now has branched out to Botswana, places where historically, because of delayed and late-stage breast cancer diagnoses, the chance for a successful outcome was greatly diminished. Schulman and colleagues have now trained nearly 200 rural health center nurses in clinical breast exams and evaluation, nearly 2,000 community health workers in the basics of breast awareness and patient education, and multiple district hospital clinicians in breast ultrasound. As you'll hear, the work is remarkable and the results outstanding. More on Shulman. He's Deputy Director for Clinical Services and Director at the Center for Global Cancer Medicine in the Abramson Cancer Center at the University of Pennsylvania. He's the former Chair of the American Society of Clinical Oncology's Quality of Care Committee and currently is a member of ASCO's Global Oncology Leadership Task Force and International Affairs Committee. Before our conversation, though, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these investigating breast cancer conversations, and if so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. Okay, that's it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Lawrence Shulman. Dr. Shulman, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me, Chris.
0: Let me start with congratulations. You recently were given the American Society of Clinical Oncology's 2019 Humanitarian Award. That's quite an honor, and my guess, given what you do for a living, um, the Humanitarian Award in particular must be meaningful to you.
1: Well, I'm very humbled by the award, frankly, and uh, an honored that ASCO has chosen. To award it to me this year, Uh, you know, I will say right from the start that um, there are many, many people who are my partners in the work that I do in Rwanda and Haiti and elsewhere, and uh, they should probably be getting the award, not me, but I'm very grateful to be getting it on behalf of myself and my team.
0: It's not every day that one comes across a physician, researcher, scientist who is active, um, as you just mentioned, in improving breast cancer outcomes in Rwanda or Haiti or, or elsewhere. Um, but that's not the beginning of your story. And so while I fully expect that the bulk of our conversation, um, will, will focus on your work, uh, in those locations, um, your career in research includes development of new cancer therapies and implementation of cancer treatment programs in low resource settings. I, I really focused on that um, low resource settings. W- what inspired you in the first place to focus on that uh, area? And what did that mean historically? Were you all were you were you historically U.S. focused in terms of low resource settings?
1: Sure. Um, so I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I've been caring for breast cancer patients now for over 40 years, and I still remember uh, what it was like in the 1970s and how radically it's changed over the last four decades, a lot of which really is credited to the vision and the support of uh, BCRF and the types of research that they've funded and allowed us to make the progress that we have. And for most of that time or a lot of that time, My focus was on developing new therapies in the U.S. Things were pretty crude in the 70s, and over these decades, they've gotten better in several respects, one of which is that the cure rates are much higher now than they were then, but also the therapies uh, leave women with a much better quality of life now than they did then. So there have been a lot of advances, but in the early 19. 90s, uh, one of my interns on the oncology service at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston was Paul Farmer, who has made his career doing global health, first in Haiti and then in Rwanda and other locations, and Paul and I became friends. Mm. And as he and his colleagues got better at treating things like HIV and tuberculosis and malaria... Patients were living longer and living to get cancer, and cancer became a bigger and bigger problem in places like Haiti and Rwanda. And in the late 2000s, he and Jim Kim, who has been his partner in a lot of this work, called me up and asked me to build cancer programs in Rwanda and Haiti, and I said yes. It occurred to me at that time that the great advances that we had made in the U.S. and the benefit that women derived from those advances were just not available to many other people in the world. And when we got to Rwanda in 2011, there was not a single oncologist, not a single cancer doctor in the entire country, and there was really no cancer care in the country. So that if you develop breast cancer, you are certain to die of it. And I've heard that story over and over again from patients over the years. And so we really started from scratch. Hmm. And there was no healthcare infrastructure that was trained to detect women's breast cancers at early stage. And there was no treatment for surgery, chemotherapy, hormone therapy, and so on. And over these subsequent years, we've put all of those in place. And again, a lot of the progress that we've been able to make in Rwanda has been due to funding from BCRF. Uh, They've helped us to build care teams and research teams that have figured out the best interventions that we could use in in these types of locations to bring patients in at earlier stages of disease where our chances for cure would be much greater. And we've already seen those benefits even over this short period of time.
0: And, and I want to ask you about those benefits and, uh, you know, in particular, some of the, uh, decisions and implementations that you've made. But the, the thing that as I was reading, uh, some of your writings and, uh, you know, about the various work that you and, uh, Paul Farmer and Partners in Health and, and others have done in, in low resource areas. Um, the thing that's particularly disturbing, you know, to me and I assume to you as well and to many others, these women don't necessarily get the disease at higher rates. However, the lack of screening and follow-up increases the chances that they will be diagnosed with advanced breast cancer and may not get quality treatment. Isn't that right?
1: That's absolutely correct. Uh, And, you know, we actually studied this again with support from BCRF early on when we got there. We didn't make any assumptions And we wanted to better understand why women were coming in with such advanced cancer, which is just much less amenable to uh, curative therapies. And it turned out that it was more complicated than we thought. I mean, certainly women were not coming in as early as they might when they discovered that they had a breast lesion. But... Uh, And in fact, we shouldn't have expected them to because they grew up in a scenario where there was no breast cancer care, so why would they bother going to the doctor if they discovered something? But the other thing that we discovered, which should not have been a surprise for similar reasons, is that once they got to one of their community health centers, uh, that the clinicians there, the community health workers and the nurses... Did not recognize breast cancer hmm. they didn't understand what was going on. They had never been trained in it, and again, you know they probably shouldn't have been trained in it because there was no breast cancer care, so you know there was no reason to, but they were not trained in it and uh so they basically didn't recognize it. They sent the patients home, and the patients eventually would return and eventually would get to our cancer center but very late on in their disease. And so with BTRF support, we've developed a program of education, ultrasound usage, and other technologies within the health centers in Rwanda. And we started with uh, half a dozen of them, and we've now been expanding across the country the providers, community health workers and nurses were actually thrilled to learn about breast cancer. They really didn't know what was going on, yeah. um, and they obviously want to help their patients. And what we've seen has been dramatic, uh, that between an increasing public understanding that there is treatment for breast cancer and women coming into the health centers earlier and the clinicians in those health centers understanding what was going on, being able to detect breast cancer, the patients are coming in with much earlier disease that's much more curable. So again, over really a relatively short period of time, we've been able to change the paradigm. And again, that's really with incredible support at BCRF.
0: And in in your history, let's say the first 20 years, you know, the 70s until, uh, you know, all of a sudden a, a, a kid named, you know, or a young, young, young man named Paul Farmer ended up as your Intern, um, you know, a, a course that really impacted both of your lives, um, and and the work that he's done, obviously, in so many areas, is uh, you know really, just quite amazing and and widely recognized. W- what did low resource areas mean for you? Is that was that perhaps you know neighborhoods in Boston or or other areas in the U.S.? Is that what a low resource area meant to you at that point? Or was international, uh, you know, always part of your repertoire?
1: International work was not always part of my repertoire, quite frankly. Uh, I think that, you know, when I got into medicine in the early, um, in the 70s, uh, you know, it was a very exciting time for cancer. You know, uh, Richard Nixon had declared his war on cancer when he was president and so on. But our entire focus was on the U.S. was developing new treatments here, and it was not in my consciousness to think about uh, places in other countries. We did, and I was in Boston at the time, we we did think about the underserved areas of Boston, uh, and I've subsequently thought about a lot of the underserved areas in the U.S., a lot of places like eastern Kentucky and Appalachia, and uh, Navajo Nation and others, other areas in the U.S. actually don't have very good access to high-quality cancer care, uh, and that is a problem. And we have lots of people trying to address that. And in fact, uh, Partners in Health um, has a program in Navajo Nation trying uh, to do that in the Southwest. Yeah, but um, there are plenty of places. In the U.S., where we're not doing as well uh, as we might like. And one of my other roles is as chair of the Commission on Cancer, which is the national organization that accredits hospital cancer programs and has the largest database, cancer database, in the world, actually, with 37 million patients in it. And we can show out of that database that there are major discrepancies in. care and outcomes for our cancer patients across the U.S. I will say that the, there are common themes. You know, Poverty uh, influences people's ability to partake in health care, uh, particularly to seek health care when they're not desperately ill uh, because they have other competing needs and concerns. So um, you know, what we've learned in Rwanda actually to some extent helps us to think about how to do things better and the U.S. as well.
0: Yeah, that that's incredible. And yes, sadly, there is no lack of low resource areas, whether that's in the U.S. or or outside of it. So, but you know, the, the moment that I'm really finding myself curious about is, um, so here you are doing your thing, you know, doing you know, helping. Women as, you know, as, as best you can and, and working in these areas. And did all of a sudden, um, and, and I guess, you know, Paul Farmer had started some of his work, I'm assuming, in Haiti. And did, did all of a sudden one day he called you up and say, uh, um, hey, uh, former, you know, it's your former intern, which I'm sure you were keeping (laughs) in touch, obviously, already. Um, have I got an idea for you? Why don't we go to Rwanda?
1: Well, the Rwanda story is interesting. I will just back up a little bit. So, you know, when Paul was in Haiti in the 90s, um, and he was primarily focused on infectious disease, but we did become good friends, and I was in Boston, if he had a patient who came to his clinics in Haiti with cancer, he'd call me up, uh, and if it was, you know, a patient who we thought we could help, we made a plan actually often got him chemotherapy to bring back to Haiti and to treat the patient. So, you know, we kept in touch, and we took care of a patient here and a patient there uh, over the years, but as I mentioned, you know, in the late 2000s, he asked me to consider developing cancer programs in Haiti and Rwanda, and that was the time that he got involved in Rwanda, and that was to some extent actually based on... uh, former President Bill Clinton's relationship with Rwanda and with President Kagame, the president of Rwanda. Uh, and President Clinton and Paul um, are friends, and um, with you know, sort of a developing conversation about this, eventually Paul made a commitment to um, start to work in Rwanda as well. And shortly thereafter, I got involved.
0: How aware were you of the its history, politics, geography? I mean, Rwanda was just exiting. Um, there were, you know, was, wasn't there was war with Burundi in the late nineties, if memory serves? Um, were you were you aware of Rwanda and and what was going on there?
1: Well, they had their terrible genocide in yeah. nineteen ninety four, and I think that was a defining moment for the country and. Um, and i think since then they've done remarkable things and they've really pulled themselves out of the ashes so to speak mm. and built a very very strong uh society it's it's a wonderful society i love my colleagues and my friends in rwanda and i'm amazed at what they've done it's now this is the 25th anniversary of the genocide but um you know in a relatively short period of time uh they've become i think one of the um, most rapidly developing in a very positive way countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, You know, they are in the midst of uh, crises all around them. You know, they border with Burundi and with the East Congo uh, and other areas which are challenges. And right now, as I'm sure you know, there's an Ebola outbreak in the East Congo, uh, which literally abuts western Rwanda. So, um, yeah, so there are forever challenges in these areas. But I think uh, President Kagame has been an incredible leader. Uh, he's partnered with people like Paul Farmer. And, uh, you know, it's they've the whole country has been a wonderful uh, partnership in all of this work. Uh, and I feel very privileged to be there uh, and be a guest of the people of Rwanda.
0: I'm sure. Do you, do you? Recall and, and in in looking at the pictures, it, it's, it's the transformation is remarkable. Um, do you remember the first time you walked through uh, Bitaro Hospital? And wh- how do you even imagine the changes that have occurred um, in a location? like that and in the in, in terms of the care um, over the time that you've, uh, you know, had had the privilege, I'm sure you see it as a privilege, um, the privilege of getting to, to work with your colleagues there.
1: So, you know, I think, um, you know, Butaro Hospital is relatively new. It opened actually in 2011. Hmm. Uh, and um, we put our cancer program there for a variety of reasons, one of which was it was a relatively new physical plant and it was outside of the capital city and was a little bit more protected from the pressures of healthcare in Kigali, which is their capital city. Um, the ministry hospitals uh, in Kigali are uh, very, very busy, to say the least. And, you know, the first time I went there in 2011 – I walked through the wards of Shiyashika, which is their main ministry hospital in Kigali, and, you know, it was a site that I could never have imagined. Uh, The staff was working incredibly hard, uh, but the beds were all lined up and pushed against each other. There was, you know, little room for uh, the patients or the families, uh, and they didn't have much in the way of facilities to actually diagnose diagnose or treat patients. And as I mentioned, there was no cancer care. So, you know, they were doing their best with the infectious diseases and uh, maternal and child um, illnesses. But, uh, but it was a very discouraging sight um, in spite of how hard uh, and how skilled the staff was. In the last eight years, uh, it's changed radically. Hmm. Uh, you know, the hospital has been uh, built up and strengthened and has more uh, modern uh, facilities in it, laboratories, and so on. And the care there now is much, much different than it was in 2011. But, um, you know, it it was a tough situation. And, uh, you know, they're doing the best they can, but you don't go from zero to 60 in a minute. No, you know, and no. Uh, I think their progress has been incredibly quick uh, when you look at the long view of it. Uh, but it's an ongoing phenomenon.
0: What are the cultural challenges? Not having been there myself, is breast cancer something people will discuss? Are there cultural taboos around it, or it was simply kind of a, a lack of knowledge once upon a time? And and y- you've been helping there. Um, what, what are the cultural challenges?
1: You know, every country is different, and the cultural challenges are different, and I know this even from the few countries that I work in. Uh, One of the interesting things about Rwanda, and there are, you know, there's some recent books that have been published about this, is that women in Rwanda are held in very high esteem Mm. at all levels, and... Um, Paul Farmer's wife, uh, Didi Farmer, actually wrote an essay on this. She's Haitian. She grew up in Haiti, um, about the differences in how women uh, were looked at in Haiti and Rwanda. And in Rwanda, they are esteemed. Uh, and many of the high-ranking um, officials, including the current and previous ministers of health, are women. And women are respected greatly within the home. And so there's not the stigma uh, that we see in many countries where uh, women are denigrated because they have a mastectomy, they lose a breast to breast cancer, and they're considered, you know, scarred and not worthy. Um, and that does happen in uh, in many locations around the world, but it does not happen in Rwanda. And so. And the people are wonderful, and so we can have very frank conversations with the patient, with her husband, with other relatives, the children, and um, we, uh, you know, we can give them the treatment they need and not jeopardize their well-being. That's not the case in many other countries.
0: To close out, because I, I heard the, uh, as you pre-warned before we started this conversation, I heard the Amtrak whistle in the background. <laughs> I, 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 assumed that that was a, a, a subtle way to tell me, wrap this thing up, Reback. It's, uh, you know, Doc, Doc's gotta go. Um, in, in terms of the results and kind of translating the results into next stage plans, um, you've you've talked a little bit in this conversation about the results. Um, how on the kind of on the highest levels would you characterize them? And uh, you know, w- without wanting to give the sense that uh, you know folks aren't grateful for everything that you've done so far, um, what's next?
1: Well, we have a lot to do, quite frankly. And so what we did with the support of BCRF is we went into. The community health centers near our cancer center, which is in northern Rwanda, uh, Rwanda has a very structured healthcare system. It's got 500 community health centers throughout the country, and that's the primary entry point for patients. That's where patients go when they don't feel well uh, or they have a concern, and um, and we were able to show going into the health centers around. Uh, our cancer center, that we could change the way breast cancer patients were managed much to their advantage, uh, increasing their chances for cure. The government, um, the Ministry of Health has now come back to us and said, you know, this is unbelievable. Thank you so much. Now, help us to figure out how to do this throughout the rest of the country. And um, so one of the uh, Rwandans who's been helping us Uh, To run this program, uh, based at our hospital at Bataro, uh, was hired away by the ministry, which we actually thought was a wonderful idea for them. Um, He's a tremendous colleague, but extraordinarily skilled and experienced. Uh, And so now we're working with the ministry to try to scale this up across the country. That comes with a responsibility, which is that if, in fact, you find patients with breast cancer, you need to be able to treat them. And, um, you know, our program is still really the only functioning cancer program in the country, though we're starting to develop a second uh, site in Kigali together with the ministry. But we need to be able to scale up our ability to care for an increasing number of breast cancer patients. So uh, we did a small experiment um, with BCRS help. Uh, We were able uh, to show that, in fact, uh, it was successful and that we could impact women, and many women are walking around alive now who would otherwise not be, and we need to scale up and expand. Uh, You know, one of the things that Margaret Flowers asked me the other day was what would happen if the PCRF funding wasn't available uh these programs would not thrive. Mm-hmm. And um the end result of that is quite clear, which is women will die. You know, and it, it sounds very crude, but the reality is these 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 are the only options these women have. You know, in the US if you know our hospital shut down there's another one down the block. Um yeah. that's not the case here. So uh so lives are on the line. And um, and it's one of the reasons I keep going back to Rwanda is because when you go there, you realize that, in fact, you've given women a chance to survive their breast cancer that they didn't have before. And uh, the funding from BCRF has been critical in allowing us to do that and attain any success that we have uh, up to this point. But there's still lots of work to be done.
0: Did you ever... Imagine. Would you have ever imagined that this is where your career would have left you or or led you? I mean, it, it did, did. You know, growing up, I don't know if you grew up always imagining that you would be a uh, researcher, physician, scientist. But I, I can't imagine that. Uh, did you? Did you? You know? Did you ever imagine that you would be doing it in Africa?
1: I really did not. Uh, if you would have told me that forty years ago, I would have looked at you mystified. Hmm. Uh, you know, I was at Harvard. You know tremendous resources and, um, you know, trying to make a difference in cancer care. But the thought of going outside of the U.S. uh, and particularly to a place that, um, you know, uh, was so resource poor with really no cancer care when we got there was unimaginable to me at the time. And uh, very frankly, it was you know, my relationship with Paul Farmer that got me to understand that part of our responsibility was to share what we learned and what we were able to do here with a multitude of people around the world who up to this point have had no such options.
0: Dr. Schulman, thank you. Thank you for your time. And uh, obviously, thank you for the work that you do.
1: No, thank you very much for your interest in giving me the opportunity to chat with you, Chris.
0: That was my conversation with Dr. Shulman. My thanks to Dr. Shulman for joining and you for listening. To learn more about breast cancer research or to subscribe to our podcast, go to bcrf.org slash podcasts.